What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Frank Calabri. He's class of 1970. Uh, Frank has a very interesting story to tell. He's going to talk about the governors that he met, his time at Bethany, um, some of the social work projects that he is a part of, some of his life, the way that he feels that it happened. These are his. This is his truth, and he wanted to come on and, and tell about it. So without further ado, I'm going to let Frank tell his story. Frank Calvary's. You want to know by now. You want to know by now. You want to know by now. You want to know. You want to. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Bingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest, Frank Calvary's class of 1970. And before we get into who Frank is, I'm going to give you a, a quick rundown. He's the president and owner of the West Virginia Company, Inc. He's the president and owner of Americo, Inc. And Americo, Inc. is a land development and management company which owns and manages residential and commercial properties, including an industrial park. It also purchases and sells all types of materials. He was the president and owner of Bethany Enterprise, Inc., president and owner of West Virginia Industries, Inc., and the president of Imagine Just Peace Foundation from 2019 to the present. Some of the things that Frank has done, he's the West Virginia representative for the ACLU and the National Board. He's a board member for the ACLU in West Virginia. He's the only board member in West Virginia for the ACLU. Um, Nationally, you're the northern and you represent the northern panhandle, obviously, in West Virginia. A two term chairperson of the Wheeling Humane Human Rights Commission, a National Demolition Association, a nine year board member and scholarship committee chair. The West Virginia Promise Scholarship, you were appointed by Governor Bob Wise and reappointed by Governor Joe Manchin. The West Virginia State Building Commission was a five-year term. You were appointed. You were appointed by. I, I, in our pre-show, I messed his name up. It's, Gaston Caperton. Uh, Gaston Caperton. Uh, the Center Market Square Historic District. Uh, five terms, including two as a chairperson, the board member, a board member of the AIDS Task Force, board member of the Task Force Against Domestic Violence, and the committee co-chair, the board member of the West Virginia Com Common Cause a life member of the NAACP and received a humanitarian award in 2000, Friends of Wheeling, a local historic preservation group, Amnesty International, and you've been a member since 1991, past board member of the Ohio Valley Peace, Southern Poverty Law Center, you've been a member since 1994, uh, a member, member of clergy and laity, Concerned, a peace group formed during the Vietnam War, and the recipient of the 2016 Martin Luther King Award from the Ohio Valley Ministerial Alliance. Would you like me to read your, the, the last part as well? I don't know what that is. The life, di life direction. Oh, yeah, please. Life direction is to go from commerce to consciousness. Frank, it's been a long time coming to get you on the show. We've We've caught, I feel like we've talked more and talked more, and, and now we finally have you here. <laughs> My first question is, how did you find yourself here in Bethany? Well, that's an easy question to answer. My brother uh, came here before me, and I was a legacy. 
he had the most remarkable academic record uh, when he came uh, in 140 years. He had the two most difficult majors simultaneously, biology and chemistry. In addition to that, he had three minors simultaneously, and he got a 4.02 being a perfect A student and a distinction in counts, which gave him the 4.02, and he did it in three years. Now, I followed him, and I quit once, I flunked out once, and I got thrown out once. Well, let's talk about why, why the first, let's go to the first one. Why'd you quit once? What was um, the reason behind it? I was totally unprepared for college academically. I uh, did not know uh, that I was supposed to study or refused to do it, one of the two. Uh, what I did was I re regurgitated everything I heard in class, and that's how I got by a, a while. But curiously, uh, Bethany had a rule then, an onerous rule, I thought, that if you miss three classes, you get an F. Okay? At the second week, I had an F, a straight F in all my courses. I would get A's on tests after but that, you fail for but I'd be flunked. So I had a terrible grade point average, and I was going to flunk out, uh, so I just left college before the end of the first year. The second, uh, I came back as a student, and I didn't make my grades, and I flung down. I got back in, and the third time was uh, I got thrown out. And that's quite a story, which I'll get into later. I got thrown out because kids were dying, driving back drunk, and being a lifelong idealist, and that's how I want to die, an idealist and not bitter, and so far, so good. Well, you're here, so you're, you're still... Yeah, yeah. So, um, I wanted to save lives. I didn't want to open a bar, but we'll get into that if you be patient with me, please. Absolutely. So, when you first got to Bethany, what was, what was town like, what was campus like, in comparison to what it looks like today? Sadly, I, I came from a, uh, right across the river from New York City, Hoboken, New Jersey, so I was very used to city life. Uh, that's how I grew up. I came to Bethany, which is certainly more beautiful, provincial, but sadly, I, at the time, and I want to correct this as we go along, but at the time, I realized I came to a small Christian college for small Christians. Mm -hmm. They reflected the attitude of the times. And then came uh, my time in Bethany, the 60s, 61, and the assassinations, the Vietnam War, feminism, free love, and gradually things started to change. And I'm happy to tell you the Bethany I know now, and please hear this, the Bethany I know now has a much prettier face in terms of uh, social uh, interaction. You want to go? You want to elaborate on, on what you mean by that? Okay. Well, when I was a freshman, women had to be in by nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. Okay. The social settings were set by and large by fraternities and sororities, and I, I, I certainly have nothing against fraternities and sororities. But when you get into a social organization, that's your identity for as long as you're here. The men only dated women in certain sororities, and I wanted to date everybody, so that <laughs> that wasn't for me. And I, I stayed independent, paid a price for it, all of the independents did. We were kind of ostracized, unless we made a lot of noise, and I did. Um, pardon me, I've got to go to my notes, I'm old. No problem. 
I would say, now and at the end of this uh, program, Bethany is indeed my spiritual home. When I have to really contemplate, I live in Wheeling. I didn't get very far in life, only a half hour away. Uh, Bethany is my spiritual home. When I have to contemplate something or if I'm down or celebrating, I come here and walk the streets alone and everything is okay. Uh, why I left Bethany after 15 years was I kept being brokenhearted every graduation day. The people who I loved, I would lose. And the people who hopefully loved me would go away and I just couldn't take it anymore. I, I really could not take it. It was emotionally distressful mm -hmm. right after the, the day after graduation. So when, while you were a student, and you and I have talked about this, uh, this story particularly, and I, I'd like to get more in depth on it. Um, you had a roommate, but he wasn't a roommate. It was just oh. somebody that you studied with. Uh, he ended up being the class president. But yeah. There's a difference between voting for a class president and right there was a quote said to you. Yeah. I voted for him. I don't live with him. That's right. There, there was a person of color, John Eskridge. He was smarter than me. And he tutored me in my first year, not to no avail. But <laughs> I, 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 I had a spare bed in my room and we would carry books back and forth. And I said, John, just come and stay in my room at night. So the next morning, the word was out. What was I doing with... A person of color and as a roommate. Yeah, and I said, "Wait a minute. He was—he's your freshman class president. He won unanimously. I dropped out of the race because I knew I couldn't beat him, and I became social chairman instead because you get into the movies free." <laughs> so uh, that was the attitude, not only of the town and the church, but it was the attitude of many of the students. It was. Uh, to use a hackneyed phrase, it was totally unliberated, intolerant, non-accepting, and punitive. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's our job to change that, but I'll get into it. It has changed so much, but we've such a very long way to go. I have no doubt about that. Uh, I was always a prankster and never a vandal. And I really enjoyed... Uh, uh, frustrating people who were intolerant. I will tell you a quick story I saw in a movie, Chariots of Fire, years ago. Maybe you saw it. There's a, a Jewish guy and a Christian guy who are roommates at a, uh, a, a Ivy League college. One is running for Jesus and one is running to prove something because he's a Jew. A Jew. Well, there's a soliloquy in a room, and the Jewish guy says to the Christian guy, It's so painful, I remember the coolly held handshake. And I listened more, and he spoke to the coolie held handshake. He's going through lines as students do. Mm -hmm. The guy is in front of you saying hello. He's still uh, talking to the guy before you. He's already talking to the guy after you, and he's holding your hand like a dead fish. And that was because of prejudice. I happened to be of Italian heritage, and people of Italian heritage had a very hard time getting in Bethany. I got in because of my brother's spectacular legacy. Mm -hmm. And he got it because of his high school grades, plus he graduated high school in three years as well. So he was the academic. Anyway, uh, when I left that movie, I cried all the way home. I just was bitter. And, and, and my date said to me, when we got home, if you, if you want to talk about it, I want to listen. She was a psychotherapist, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure. I said, I remember that experience in Bethany. Uh, the cruelly held handshake. And I got to tell you the conclusion I came to as I was crying. 
I didn't lose, they did. I was worth knowing, and they shut me out of their life. And it's the same consequence of racial prejudice, okay? People take joys out of their life from knowing someone. Mm -hmm. And especially, my bag is to know other cultures. I, I value my international friends greatly. I want more of them. And because I'm accepting to them, even though they might be a different color, they might be a different culture, they enrich my life. Mm -hmm. I go to them more than my American friends, not that I have very many. I got more doctors than I got more fr friends. Um, let me see. Life surprised me beyond expectations. I, I look at other people's lives and compare them to mine. And I'm not the smartest kid on the block. I had to try. I, I used to call myself Avis <laughs> uh, because I had to try harder. And I've suffered low self-esteem, but that's another story. Uh, I, uh, was, I one time found myself with Barack Obama in a room alone. I knew I only had a moment, and I wanted to give him one pithy comment. And I just came to my mind. I said, everybody knows what's wrong. I wish you the courage to speak it. Sometimes he didn't, sometimes he didn't. Mm -hmm. But uh, personal courage is, is the operative uh, word for uh, getting all you can out of life from me. Well, and, and as we spoke prior to, the, to this recording, we spoke multiple times about how there's no difference between you, me, and the fact that we're both, we're both probably a little chicken. It's just you do it, right? You don't, you don't wait. Even though it might it might scare you, it might be out of your comfort zone. You you kind of go push through that. I'm obligated to myself and the problem. It is our job to confront injustice and to do something about it. And I'll get on to that a little later if your uh, patience and good enough to still put up with me before this is over. Well, so let's talk about a little bit more about what what is the town cosmetically. So, Chambers General Store is clearly is, is obviously there. The building that becomes the enterprise. What was what is that building at the time? Which is for those of you at home, that's bubbles, okay. correct? I'll go to alcohol then right away. Yeah, that's, that's part of the whole story. Um, the reason I got thrown out of school was I was on a student faculty committee to design the new student union. And uh, when I said let's serve beer, people are dying driving back. I got thrown off the committee, and I said I'll do it myself, and I got thrown out of school. And that's a whole story. Uh, well, let's hear that story. So you can go I, out of I want to tell you, I get thrown out of school, but I'm still living here. Mm -hmm. And I'm turning to it, please. <laughs> uh, okay, people were dying or being seriously injured from driving back to Kansas because it was a dry campus. Uh, I didn't want a business. I mean, this is what I really want my fellow alums to know and the students. I did not want a business. I wasn't a money grubber. I'll get into that later. Uh, I was only trying to save lives. I sued Bethany, the town, after 140 years existence with a judge, a local judge, and he found in favor of my, my case he didn't want to consider the other 13 reasons we were suing. He said he would destroy the town. And then they signed a petition and went to the governor, Arch Moore, uh, who went to jail for other things. Uh, I knew him. 
he got an honorary degree here. And uh, I'll get into that in a moment. So they went to him and he illegally denied me a license. There was so much corruption in the granting of liquor license and beer licenses in West Virginia that there was actually a statute saying it can only be granted on merit and it can only be denied on demerit. Well, he just took public opinion and did it. I had every qualification. Mm -hmm. So uh, I called the attorney general's office and I said, I'm going public tomorrow. This is interesting to me. It's a great learning lesson. I'm going public tomorrow. I'm going to the state newspaper and I'm going to tell them how the governor broke the law. They hand delivered me a license in the morning. Knocked on my door and woke me up. Before you could make that phone call. Right. And, the, and, and I'll never forget the guy. Who was, he knocked on my door. He says, I don't know what's going on. I've never had to do this before, but here's your license. Got one problem. What's the name? I was married at the time and my, my wife said uh, uh, Page Two, which was a former bar in, in, in Bethany. Mm -hmm. So there we went. And because we were on TV for a year and much talked about, we wound up with a curious public. Hollywood says, talk about me, good, bad, but just talk about me. We wound up with the largest beer, draft beer sales in the state. So much so that uh, um, the Iron City Beer Company brought uh, the, the key players of the Pittsburgh Steelers down for an open night. And I can give a damn. I got enough trouble with reality. I don't do sports. Uh, so... Here's what I learned. Here's a valuable lesson for me. I got something out of that. When confronting power and you have no leverage and no money, you immediately begin taking the emperor's clothes off because the issue is not as important as his image. Mm -hmm. And they back off. And I've done it since. And it works without, fa without failure every time, which is what uh, I'll throw this in now. It's what's wrong with America in my mind. We are already great. We could solve most of our problems overnight. The, the difficulty is we're worried about what we look like rather than we are. If we admitted our problems, we already have the means of, sol of solving them. But Americans are just, even those who are aware are displaying by and large until recently a lack of courage, 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 courage. And the two operative words for a successful life and the advice I give to anybody who wants to listen, fools that they may be, is one, pay attention. Uh, to what's in your brain, what's in your neighbor's brain, what's in your environment, to what's going on in the world. And eventually, if you can't think of something to do, it'll find you. Pay attention. And the second thing is, even though I was always afraid and shaking in my boots, I, had to, I was compelled uh, to do it anyway for selfish reasons. Mm -hmm. I had to be true to myself. And it became kind of a hallmark. The more I did it, the more ease it, it, I, I experienced. And... Uh, so that doesn't mean I'm not still afraid, but I, 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 but I do it. So there's a funny story that you told me that I wanted to try to get on tape a little bit more. Um, you had a pet. Oh, you had a pet, and the town said it was livestock. Yeah. And you said it's not livestock; yeah, it's a pet. You got my punchline. So how is the <laughs> city council was obviously frustrated with me, and they would do any everything we could to they could to disrupt me and make me lose my license on this second bar, which I sold to Bubba's. Mm -hmm. We used to go out 2 o'clock in the morning when we closed and pick up the litter, and a friend of mine gave me a goat. And I tethered the goat in the middle of the backyard, which is now an addition, and it ate a big circle of grass. Town council summoned me and said, you're not allowed to have livestock in the town. I said, wait a minute, you got a dog? And they said, yeah. 
well, do you like your pet? And I said, that's my pet, it's not livestock, and I walked out. <laughs> they said there's, there's consternation all over their faces. And they never said it was it. There was never, they, they never followed up, and I really enjoy frustrating people who are intolerant. So through this, through through the, the bar experience and and and, and your, your in Bethany college student experience, uh, how many presidents did you see come and go for for the college? Uh, because Perry Gresham would have still been. He was, he was the first one. I got a story about him. Uh, he, he and I respected each other. I knew that because he never took me on. And I, I was grateful to him for that. He was a very smart guy who fooled a lot of rich people. <laughs> you want, is there an elaborate, do you want to elaborate on that? Oh, well, he just got grants for all the buildings we didn't need that now we can't afford. That's all. Makes sense. Um, and the academic, we talked about the academics and how um, it it was it was vastly different than what you expected it to be, and the fact that you know you, you would get you get A's on your test, but you would you wouldn't get a grade because you, you get a grade, you get yeah, an F, you got an F because you went to you didn't go to the class. Right. Um, what what was it like coming in? Because your your brother come your your younger brother comes in comes to Bethany as well, correct? But not as a student. Not as a student, just as a as an as a as a worker. For yeah. the for the for yeah. one year. Yeah. Um, but what was it like for you coming in where your brother had your older brother had done it in three years and there was so many expectation there was so much I'm assuming expectation on you to be right kind of just just like him. Absolutely. Well, you see, that's the story of of low self esteem uh, and needing to be Avis. I followed him all my life and he was always exceptional and favored and talked about and I stumbled along. I was very shy until I came to Bethany and I got angry and then get out of my way because I realized I'd been lied to. Life was not like I grew up in an evangelical home. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not incidentally, my parents were both immigrants. They had two dreams, service, serve their Lord as they saw and send their four kids to college. We never had any toys. He was a barber, she a seamstress. And with those meager monies, like maybe $4 a week, they sent four kids to college, two doctors, me and my sister, who had women were trained trained to be teachers. So you can do it. Get to work and stop bitching. I like that. Um, so for those that don't know, you, you majored here at Bethany in, in history and political science. Right, and that's a sad story. So yes, how did how did that how did that come about? I applied in February. I met Dean Sander Cox in New York and he said, I'll give you a fraternity pin now. Alpha Sigma my brother was and mm -hmm. he was in charge. And we laughed, and I knew I was getting in. It was very reassuring. Uh, let me get what I was talking about. We were talking about uh, why you decided to go history and political oh, science. Oh, okay. So I was admitted in February as a political science major, which my life was my life avocation. I wanted to be in government service. And I got here in the fall, and unbeknownst to me till I got here, Without announcement, they told me they had discontinued the political science department, which I was admitted into, and changed it to history and political science. So I just sat and suffered. It was too late to do anything about it. But talk about ineptitude. And Luda Gordon, who was the registrar at the time, is the woman who was the hatchet person to throw me out of school on the excuse that I was taking too long to graduate, but there were other people here who were longer than I was even. Uh, but we'll get into that. I became a person non grata in town. No one was allowed to rent to me. Fortunately, a, a rich kid uh, uh, 
uh, gave me his old apartment for nothing. And when I would walk down the street, people would cross the street so they wouldn't have to deal with me. And as things settled down and they got to know better who I was, they would cross the street to talk to me. And I did. So you, it was never uh, never hold, held against anyone when they... No. At the beginning where they looked at you across the street to get away from you. Now, those same people coming back across the street to say hello to you was just a conversation and a... They taught me uh, not to be like them. And... Uh, I, I wanted to be annoyed. I've got feelings. I'm a person and I have been insulted and degraded, but I realized that I would be, be being like them and I had to be different and even not even showing a different example, enjoying a different experience. Uh, there are, there were, we'll get into it, but it, and whenever you want, but there were certain great characters in Bethany. Let me finish the, if I may, the alcohol. Mm -hmm. Parents cornered me one time. If, if you can do that in Richardson Hall, they did. And they excoriated me because they wanted their kids to go to a dry college. That's why they sent them to me. And I said to the parents, there about five or six people. I said, you know, it's parents weekend. Your sons have ties, your daughters have skirts. I clean up their vomit. You don't know your own children. And don't talk to me. Go talk to the parents who were told to come and pick up the bodies. Of the people that had passed. That's from... right, in the accidents. Well, I walked out. At that, and well, that, how was that received? Total mm -hmm. silence, and then I had I heard a smattering of applause as I went through the door. It was simply the truth of it. Yeah, there was no sugarcoating. There was no you weren't trying to fluff anything. Yeah. It, was, it was exactly what, what it was like. Okay. Okay, I'm done. I'm done with alcohol unless you have any questions. So, with the drinking age being eighteen. Because that's another thing I don't think people realize is in West Virginia at that point, the drinking age is 18. Was that, um, did you still, did you ever run into a problem with, with, with oh, yeah. local towns kids or high school kids that are 18 years old? Did they come into the bar and what was the, what was the policy like? Or your policy, I guess. Everybody was welcome. I did not discriminate. And if you came in with an adult as a child, as it is the fact, mm -hmm. you know, you're certainly welcome. I would probably buy them a Coke. And thank them for being honest. And uh, one time, I had a customer who had a false ID, and he came in, and everybody was singing him "Happy Birthday." And I was saying, "Oh, how old are you?" He said, "18." He'd been my customer for almost a year. <laughs> so he had the. So he said, "Go home and think about it." And Emily from Emily's Beer Garden taught me how to run an establishment and and keep order. She would, and this is what she taught me. As a matter of fact, she put a hat on and Red Sparringer drove her to town to my bar to wish me well, knowing that it was going to hurt her. Because okay. now they're not going to go That's out right. to Amsterdam. Well, they did, but not as much, of course. Yeah. She came in to, 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 to wish me well. But anyway, she taught me how to run a bar. She, because she did it to me. She would throw me out sometimes, <laughs> but she'd always let anybody back in. But she would put up with just enough guff until you get, reach your limit. And that was it. There was no negotiating. There was no saying, forgive me. There's no saying, I won't do it again. Out the door. You learned out the door. And if you, your ride wasn't leaving, you walked to Bethany. Which is not an easy walk all the way out there. No, I've done it. And she got Red Sparringer, who was the town cop, to mm -hmm. do this. He was quite a guy. He had a heck of a job because he couldn't go out and, and he was mature and and, and well-trained and compassionate. He, uh, he went 
And he realized when the kids were making a ruckus, the college didn't want them thrown out. That was money. So we had to calm them down, not placate them, mm -hmm. teach them a little bit, let them understand there were consequences, none of which would have come unless it was egregious. And uh, he was real good at his job, and I respected him a lot. Now, was that was that a, a normal thing for the, for the authority figures in town, that they were compassionate and, and whatnot, or was that a... They, they were seemingly stern, but there, but, but there, there was a the their, line there. The underline was that they didn't want to get rid of business, so they had to, unless a student was totally outrageous, then they were gone before the end of the day. I'll never forget, there was a, a real promiscuous woman who got pregnant, and she was tall and attractive, as I remember, not, I don't remember her name, and she's sitting on the curb outside of the commons, just sitting there, bawling her eyes out, because Bethany women didn't have sex. If you were pregnant, you were gone before nightfall, okay? So she's sitting there crying, and I knew the story, and I knew there was nothing to say and nothing to do, but I felt her pain, and my nothing to do, I walked over, and I didn't ask her. I sat down next to her on the curb about three hours till her ride came. Said nothing. And just sat there. Just, just there and be sat company. There. And when she got up to get in the car, she's crying and crying and crying. She got her palms in her hands, and she rubbed them through her eyes and put them on my eyes. I started bawling. Wordlessly, she said, of course, thank you for being there for me. I don't know what to do. Which yep. is, it seems to be one the, the the testament to who you are. That is that's that's the definition of who you are. Is that the the compassion is there you. for other people. Thank you. I think anybody would have the compassion that I have. Okay, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but they won't go and do that. Yeah. And that's why I've had to discipline myself to have the courage to act when I know it's needed. Uh, there was an abortionist in in in, in Steubenville, three hundred dollars. And a lot of Bethany women went to him, but he was a butcher. And one night, somebody came back to the dorm, and I get a call. And I'm text bread boy, so they could call me. They can't call the college. And I had a four-wheel drive Jeep, and the snow was closing the roads. I brought my Jeep up to there, trundled them into the, trundled her into my car, drove her to Wheeling Hospital. They had called and said to expect us. They took her in and did a DNC and falsified, because abortions were illegal, falsified the papers to save her life. No. And so, what year was that? If you, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't remember the year, but it was early on. Okay. Because it was the second time I came back because I had a Jeep then. I know that. It wasn't the first time. Now, you having a Jeep on campus, was that abnormal? Very. Or, because it, most people didn't have, that was a thing, right? You didn't have your vehicle here. Well, until you got... Juniors and seniors maybe had to be a That's pool. right. You were allowed as a senior, but only with permission. And that brings a lot of stories up. I'm sitting on the curb on a, a Friday after class, and my friends pull up in the car, five people in a six-seater car, and they say, Frank, you got $35? We're going to a concert. And I was depressed, and I didn't have $35. And I said, no, go on. So they came back from Woodstock. Oh, Boy, I've been a lifelong regret. <laughs> Oh my. So life happens and sometimes it doesn't happen in your favor. Uh, the other thing is 
when the women had to be at nine o'clock, the men would all pile into a car if they could get a ride and go to Harry's and uh, to Sam's in Wellsburg and mm -hmm. have deals and, and sit there and telling all of the things they experienced with their dates. Good. Yeah, it was the it was, it was not a good thing. Men were, and maybe still are, in my mind, on the wrong track. If you're attracted to a woman and you want a consortium or whatever, stop being macho and trying to prove something. Sit down, listen, be empathic, and be transparent. I don't know where I learned that. Maybe my <laughs> feminine side. Or right? just develop it through, through I, different I, situations. I, I, it's just I, a, I couldn't do the other. Yeah. So that was the only recourse I had. And I'll tell you what, I had a very uh, condemnable social life in some people's eyes. Hope that's not a brag. No. I was blessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that's a good place. And actually, before we send it to our to our first break, I want you to tell the story about one Harry Chambers getting rope tied oh, around God, his belt loop. I'll tell the whole Chambers story. Okay. <laughs> Harry Chambers, who is now an adult and two grown children, was a little boy. At one time. And he had short pants on. And his grandmother, <coughs> a wonderful woman, I'll tell it more in a moment, was at the cash register and he was in a butcher shop with his dad. And they had string hanging. Maybe they still do. They and still I, do. I tied the string to his belt loop, unbeknownst to him, in the back of him, in his short pants and said, Harry, your grandmother wants you. So he walks through the whole store dragging the string. I tell everybody, I still laugh about it, and he doesn't mind so much. <laughs> so what was what was his grandmother like? Okay, the whole family. There was uh, uh, Harry and his uh, older brother who's left town. Good, mm -hmm. well-minded, funny kids. Uh, it was the grandmother, and then there were, she had three sons, Bob, Harry's father, mm -hmm. who would, would stand behind it. Uh, let me preface this story by saying when the whole town didn't deal with me, they knew the town was wrong. They knew from my proximity, I was building the building across the street from them, and they kept me alive because they allowed me $300 credit, which was, was enormous in these dollars, mm -hmm. and they never treated me badly, and they treated me with respect, and I did so too. So there was Bob, who would Harry's father, who would try to... Um, talk things through at me. There was Bill, who just was a, a good old boy and kind. He would take me into the cooler, and I was allowed to cut the piece of meat I would have for my dinner. And then there was Dave, who worked for the post office, who was affable enough. When, when Bill died, I came from willing to go to his funeral and buried out in Pennsylvania, and I came on a different road, and a hearse was just going through, followed by the family car, and his wife was in there. She stopped the car, and she, she had her driver signal, get me in the line, because it was a long line, behind the hearse, before her. And I tell you, that was the greatest act of affection, and I wept for that. Uh, anyway, they kept me alive by giving me $300 worth of credit, for, and, and Mrs. James would gently remind me it was time to find some money. Mm -hmm. The women would keep me alive by bringing... Uh, uh, leftover food in a napkin after dinner while I was building and had no money. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, the other, the, the other, Harry's brother, his name was Rob. Anyway, you know the, the story of the string now. Yeah. You know, I could talk about the chambers 
a great deal. They are my family. I don't have affection for them. I've come to love them without exception. They were big enough, and they are smart enough. They didn't want to alienate their customers, the towns. So they never talked about me in public, half of it, and they always treated me with kindness in private. And that was enough. That was more than enough. I was getting, I wasn't getting that from anybody else. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's a good place. We'll take, we're going to take a break. We're going to send it to Harry Chambers with Chamber General Store because if they don't have it, you don't need it. It's a proven fact. Uh, you can stop down at Chambers, get a breakfast sandwich, the lunch specials, the hot soups of the day. Um, make sure you stop in and buy a t-shirt, uh, either the Shrimp Capital of the World or the If They Don't Have It, You Don't Need It shirts. And generally, if you're in Bethany and you don't stop in Chambers, you're going to naturally come to Bethany. I think it's, it's pretty much the same. Fair enough. I got your um, mugs. So this is Frank Calabrese, class of 1970. I'm Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour, and we'll be right back. While you're in Bethany, make sure you stop in the store for a daily lunch special, breakfast sandwiches all day, try out the biscuits and gravy, guaranteed it'll fill you up, and also look for our new burnt orange chambers if we don't have it you don't need a t-shirt and our psychedelic green third edition bethany mushroom capital of the world t-shirts now back to you dingo what's going on chuckleheads i am carlo guadagnino this is dingo talk my guest frank calabrese class of 1970 uh we left off frank was telling us everything about bethany from his time when he first got here in 1961 uh, we talked a lot about, we, we wrapped up the segment with, with the Chambers and, and how they are to you as family. And uh, now I want to move into a little bit, uh, let's talk about comps. What were comps like for you? Well, I, I was probably as terrified, if not more so, because I realized what a poor student I'd been of comps. And I figured that was end game. But uh, Professor Lozier, and I had a good relationship in the class because people were always mocking him. Uh, and I always had the answers he wanted because he, I, I just regurgitated what he had said in the prior class. I always had the answer and people were mocking me because I always raised my hand when they didn't. So he had mercy on me and, and asked me softball questions at comps. And when I stumbled a little bit, he just went on and I passed. So I owe him a lot. Let me go back, if I may, on the same subject. I studied five languages. I'm not fluent in five languages. I studied five languages, and Mrs. Carty, bless her heart, one time she was taught me Spanish, took me aside and said, Frank, there are consequences about missing classes. There are consequences for your actions. And I rudely stopped her right there, and I said, I'll tell you what, you take care of the consequences, and I'll take care of my education. Fortunately, she lived long enough that I could have begged her to forgive me. And she did. Uh, what you were saying is, in a sense, I'm paying. I'm paying for the education. However, I want to handle getting that education. As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, I have a right to do what I want, and that's how I've lived my life. Mm -hmm. And it's had great rewards. Uh, so well, let's let's go. You have a graduation story. So oh yeah. Let's talk about graduation. Okay. Before we get to how I graduated, Mrs. Peterson, who was the vice president, Warner Peterson's wife, an, an Italian war bride when he was serving there, 
uh, he, he had quite a he had quite a, uh, an office. He was in charge of rebuilding Italy. If you I forget the plan, but anyway, he married her, brought her back here. We became friends. She enjoyed the fact that I had an Italian heritage. I guess she was really Brahmin. She she was a pretty classy person, and uh, I couldn't graduate because I didn't have a modern language. Mm -hmm. And I told her that one time in conversation, and she said, "No, yes, you did." She said, Italian is a modern language. You read this book and you come and uh, we'll give you a test. Well, idiot that I am student-wise, I didn't read the book. <laughs> I went up there. I'm nervous as hell. I'm not going to graduate. And, and she's showing me all around Pendleton Heights, which is marvelous, as you know. And she had a, a Coria and Ives print on the wall, which was an original, very rare, and it's of the first baseball game played in sanctioned baseball game played in the world and it's in Hoboken, New Jersey, two blocks down from where I grew up. And I said, if the window's ever broken and that's missing, no who did it. It's stupid. <laughs> anyway, she laughed. Thank God. And then I said, Mrs. Peterson, we gotta get to this test. I didn't tell her I didn't read the book. She said, Oh, you're smarter than not many people. We're not gonna you passed. Oh. So there's that's a that's a relief from just oh, lifts off your shoulders. I, that's how I graduated. So we get to the stage and you know, and maybe there's a little brag in here, so give me a little license. We get to the stage, and it's it's uh, in the field house. The parents are all asked not to clap until they're all done, as is customary. Uh, I'm going across the stage, and half the faculty turn their backs in the chair because they didn't want to stay. They weren't going. They weren't going to be a part of this. Half. And then the students started to clap. And the parents didn't know any better. They thought they were supposed to clap too. So I got an ovation. The only student who got an ovation. And half of them didn't even want to see me get it. And I would I really enjoyed that. So let's clarify on the on the bar side of things. So you you because now graduation's happened, you're you're no longer a student at that yeah. But you had already been work running to at least one bar, not so and then one. when my wife and I uh, uh, changed our lives and we're no longer together. She stayed there and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And you moved up to what is now what was now Bubba. A couple of years later. Yeah. Okay. And you brought up that your brother, your younger brother, did come to Bethany to work for a year. He yeah. worked and he worked yeah. over at at the Enterprise. He was a partner for a year and then he decided to go on. He is a good name. He's a good strong strong yeah. Italian name. Yes, Carlo. Yes. <laughs> I like that name. It's, anyway, good, it's a good name. It's an unseemly story. Uh, so I left my marriage with the clothes on my back, had me eaten for three days, no place to live. I'm sleeping, sneaking in the dorms at night. And the, probably one of the biggest brags I have is I would go into the Phillips Hall in the basement window, and everybody smoked, and we'd sit around. All the women and I would sit around in a circle, and they'd give me cigarettes because I had no money. And the biggest brag that I have is the conversation would not change because a male was present. It was just same same conversation. That's the feminist side of me, I hope. Anyway, uh, so there was some wood left over from the construction of the building that I had gotten, gotten from a farmer. It was given to me, and we used it on the building. Mm -hmm. So, and it was on a vacant lot next door, which is still vacant. 
And I went to get the wood and I was going to sell it. And I was told by her looking out the window, you touch that and you're going to jail. That night I found myself in jail. First time in my life, last time in my life. One of the professors came to the jail with his daughter and they said, we knew that uh, Hopkins, we knew that what happened to you wasn't fair. And they gathered $300 through their family members and came to the jail in the middle of the night to bail me out. Now, where, where were you? Which jail? Were you down in Walsenburg? Brook, 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 Brook County. Okay. Yeah, they, they took me home. I emptied their refrigerator of leftovers and they gave me a couch. And an act of kindness that is beyond some people's understanding. But he was a Quaker, run out of town in Kansas because he protested the Second World War. But so this is right after, so you graduated and now you are, this is your yeah. first stint uh, almost as, as uh, homeless. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The second, if I can digress, the second homeless thing, I had no problem with drugs or alcohol mm -hmm. in, in Bethany. I got, I got a, a state policeman story I want to tell you in a minute about the bar. Uh, I moved to Wheeling. I'm living with Miss Kansas, and I'm, I got a fancy apartment with chandeliers because that's what she wanted. And I said, yes, dear. Uh, <laughs> Which is normally the answer. Yeah, very sad relationship. Anyway, I invited the then assistant prosecutor and some friends up to, for dinner. At the end of dinner, he brings out cocaine. I'd never seen it. So I did a bunch of cocaine with him. The next morning, I didn't go to my office. I went out looking for more cocaine. I was instantly addicted. And of course, with that becomes alcohol to go up and down. I never had an alcohol problem here. So long story short, I lose everything that I have. Uh, I'm dying. Uh, I wanted to walk into the river and die at my property. So I was going to end all this because I had no cocaine in it. And I called the, the depression from that, what Kierkegaard called the sickness unto death, mm -hmm. which is depression. Anyway, I walk in the thing and it's, Ice flows on a river. I've only seen it two or three times. And I get I get to my genitalia and I say, the hell with this, and I run out. <laughs> and turn out and out the now if it were summertime, we would not be having this conversation. I'd have kept going. Um God is great. To this point, if you were talking to your childhood self, what would they think of you? What would what would childhood Frank think of Frank today? I told you I didn't understand that question on the questionnaire, but now that I understand it, wow. Well, it's reworded from the questionnaire, too. Okay. I, yeah, right. I was always timid and had low self-esteem from following my brothers. Uh, I had to get angry. When I came to Bethany, I realized, as I said, I was lied to. Life wasn't the way I was brought up. Mm -hmm. And I was particularly astounded by it. Bethany was almost all rich kids at the time. I was it was a very well wealthy, yes. wealthy, high in the yes. high society. And yes, and I was astounded by what the students would do to each other. Astounded, particularly the men to the women. And I was very cruel. I, was, was it cruelty or just just, just classless? I mean, they'd go on a date and go to Sam's and talk about what they had what done. they had done. Yeah, yeah, and more and more and more, and tell lies to get opportunity you know you get the picture mm -hmm. i'm not going to elaborate uh it was pretty indecent unkind maybe not fair anyway uh what would i think about myself now okay uh there's a lot of I'm, I'm proud of 
very much I'm proud of. My resume shows Absolutely. that I made the choice. I never liked money. I got a problem right now. I got to get rid of it. Now, we'll get into the foundation how difficult it is to give away money. And everybody offers to help us. Heck with that. <laughs> uh, what I would think about it is was another question you're going to ask right now. What's my greatest accomplishment? I'll answer that simultaneously. It is that despite my fears, despite my not being the brightest guy in the world, I always, or as best I can, always is a scary word, try to do what's uncomfortable if I feel it's right. Now, I may not be the best judge of whether it was right or not, but I follow my own instincts, I be my own person, I'm not a joiner, never learned to play golf. If you notice by my resume, I never, joined, I never joined, the, no, I never had an interest. Um, I, I don't, I never joined uh, the boys' fraternity club. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to my first football game when the governor invited me to his box because I had helped tear down the old football stadium and he wanted to see what my impressions were. Of course, as a governor, so I went. Yeah. So I'm sitting sat and he comes around and says, what do you think? And I said, I see excitement, I see wealth, I see enthusiasm that you don't normally see in West Virginia. And if this is sports, I got to tell you, Governor, if every family here went out into America and gave up one football game a year and did something as a group to help others, it would change the complexion of the country, not for what they would accomplish, but for the raising of their own consciousness. Mm -hmm. He just looked at me. Wasn't what he was expecting. Oh, was. but he was my dear friend. I used to fly with him and sleep at the governor's mansion. And well, so let's talk about that because you've met. I'm a groupie. You've now met. You've now been associated with four governors, right? Yeah, uh, I knew them all. Even Arch Moore. When Arch Moore came here to get a, an honorary degree one commencement day, mm -hmm. and my then wife was in Houghton Arms School Girls School in D.C. at the graduation and reunion, while his daughter was graduating. And the week before, he had told them not to give me a license. I meet him on a, on, on coming out of Old Main in the procession. He says, hey, Frank, boy, what are you doing here? I said, I went to school here, and your daughter is never going to forget that you didn't go to her graduation for selfish reasons, and I walked away from him. And how did he, there just a, just a shock, I'm sure a shocked look I on didn't, his face. I didn't care what the hell he thought, or I didn't care to look at his face. And that may be Shelley Moore Capito. I don't know, he had two daughters. I don't know which one that was. Now, after Arch Moore, you then, you know. Oh, yeah, let's give the, I'm sorry. Well, the, the other governors that you met, what were, what were they like? What were, what were, what okay. were? I met Bill Clinton five times. Okay. And what, the stories about him are true. We're in a conversation in the middle of a sentence, an attractive woman walks by and he's gone. Hey, see ya. Yeah. Uh, Barack Obama, I told you my experience with mm -hmm. him. Uh, Joe Manchin and I have known each other for 30 years and I crashed the grad last graduation and I crashed the, the trustees party when we were there ha having lunch and he saw me and came over to me, put his arms around me and took some pictures which are on my camera, maybe you've seen them online. And uh, well, what's he like as a person? He is strong, self-determined as you would expect. Mm -hmm. um, he plays the political games. Uh, he's never done anything bad to me. He stopped me in my car one time, and you knew I was not for him. I had a little sports car and a police car pulled me over. That was his escort for day and wheeling. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what did I do? And he gets out of the police car, state police car, and gets in my little Miata. 
and he's a big man, and uh, says to me, Frank, I know you don't support me. I'm going to ask you for your help. Well, the other guy who was running against him was even more egregious than he, and I told him I would help him. See, they thought I knew everybody, and I was powerful. I wasn't. I'm just a gadfly. <laughs> and and uh, so we, we, we've stayed on good terms since then. I have, I'm getting emails all the time now, Facebook. Uh, will you talk to him and tell him to straighten his act out? And I would do that, except I know it will have no effect on him. It's yeah. just he, he yeah. has kind of a one one track mind. Yeah, but, but I, I would I would describe myself as an artistic personality with no talent. So it makes me a groupie. <laughs> and all the I'm digressing, but let me talk finish the politicians, then I'll get to the stars. Uh, Basically, I know everybody who's been in office for the last number of years. I quit. I take care. When they mail me something, I throw it in the garbage. I open it. It's just not. A, I'm done. Yeah. Okay. There. It, it is all. If they really wanted to rule America in a, uh, a benevolent way, they would stop worrying about what it looks like and start worrying about what it is, because we could solve all of our problems overnight if we stopped looking to what we try to look like and mm -hmm. start admitting what we are. We're already good enough to solve the problem. We're a racist nation. We've never changed that. that, that. We, yeah. We... yeah. And, and as I may have said earlier, homophobia and, and, and feminism, we're all born healthy. Mm -hmm. We get acculturated and learn those bad things. And, and, and you asked the question of what makes me think I'm my biggest accomplishment. I resisted, and I think successfully, that evidenced by my activities in my lifetime, I successfully resisted. I'm a loner. Yeah. I feel lonely, but I'm not going to be one of the boys because just to belong. I'm not going to change. Just to be a part of the club. What I, right. I'm not going to do it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like people. No, I think you love people. I think that's that's evidence yeah, for yeah. what you do. You, you, Thank you. Um, leading into that, how did America Inc. start? Well, uh, I was a demolition contractor for 35 years. I used to drive to Wheeling and come back and run the bar back and forth, mm -hmm. sleep two two-hour shifts, chain smoke the, the whole time, five packs, dying, quit cold turkey. And uh, I have a story to tell. I, I have, I'm compelled to do it. I've had hundreds of employees in my lifetime. Remember your question. Okay, please, whatever it was, I don't. They're stealing the money, they're giving away the food, not charging their friends. And I, and I know this, but I'm very busy with a new business and uh -huh. I'm doing well. They're both businesses doing well. So I come home one night, put a sign up in the kitchen, says it's going to be a mandatory employees meeting. And everybody, I said, don't eat, we'll cook your dinner here. I locked the doors, cooked the dinner, turned the jukebox as high as it'll go, tap a keg of beer. An hour later, I said, oh, I almost forgot we got to have a meeting. <laughs> Sounds like a meeting now, for me. Now I planned all this and I confess it. So I started talking about, you know, the toilets and the kitchen and the stock and the food and all that stuff. And then I said, you know, I know some of you are giving away the food, taking the money, uh, not charging your friends. And it can't go on because you're not going to have a job and I'm not going to have a business. And I want to promise you general amnesty. I'm just curious to know who's doing this. Half the room raised their hand. I said, get the fuck out of here. And they said, what do you mean you said amnesty? I said, that's right. I'm a liar. You're a thief. Get the fuck out of here. 
<laughs> I did that. I did that. A true story. Um, so that leads me into another. Uh, before I get back to the America question, I, I wanted to under. I, I guess for my own selfish and personal reasons, how does Bubba end up being the guy after you? How does he? I put it up. I I, I told you that. I was heartbroken with people graduating mm -hmm. out from under me who I cared for, hopefully cared for me. So I put it up for lease, and he came in, and, and uh, he had a partner, and it's a big deal. And I, his style was very different than mine. He threw away all my antiques, de decorated as a sports bar, and that was his right to do, mm -hmm. uh, and was successful doing it. Uh, now was he Bubba when you met him, or yeah, was he, he William? Was, he was, was no, he Bill. He was Bubba. He was always so he was always Bubba. Yeah, he played for Duquesne and, mm -hmm. and never let you forget <laughs> it. Anyway, uh, we are, were absolutely different personalities, but he paid his rent, which was minuscule. I just wanted out. Mm -hmm. And when we negotiated his sale, he wanted to buy it. It was very small as well. I wanted out. I wanted out, and it worked. What was the rest of your question? The next that? question was so how America oh, got started. So I'm doing demolition and I'm learning the real estate in a, in a local part of Wheeling, which is the center uh, uh, center market, which is on a national register of historic places. I, I'm chairman of the center market commission, mm -hmm. a municipal group, and I start buying buildings because it was all drug bars or alcohol bars, and uh, sadly prostitution. Uh, going on in that, those streets, and I bought the buildings for nothing. It took me 25 years, a million and a half dollars later, to restore them, not rebuild them and remodel them. Restore them by their original. Yeah, that's precisely correct. Well, when you gentrify a block, everybody else starts to do it too. Mm -hmm. And I can recall people wanted to do egregious things to these historic buildings, and I would give them free consults and try to nurture them and give them stuff out of my inventory from demolition to restore their buildings. I wanted to do that. It helped me. Yeah. Um, so that's how, so America then became a real estate holding company. And I had, I owned a house here in Bethany that, that got blown up by the Krishnas. At one down, time. down there yeah. where the Gorbys live. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother story. Anyway, I had an office in downtown Wheeling in a high rise. Mm -hmm. And when I was homeless, I used to sleep in my office. It was seventy-five dollars a month, and I had another place where I was storing stuff in Bend, a little warehouse. And I realized, like, my business was growing. I couldn't be in three places. It was I needed a physical place to uh, to run a physical business. So I sent my office person out to look, and he came up with this property in McMechan, where I am now. And I filled it. It, it was fallow. It was a, an abandoned sand pit. No utilities. I made it a lice work. It's now got everything on it, uh, graveled many acres. And that's where my park is for my foundation, which I'll get into in a little bit if you would allow me. Absolutely. That's, that's important, and that's where I'm going, and that's what my life is now. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. You did. My question, my next question is, can you tell us a little bit about the, the award that you received in 2016? Oh, for NACP. Yeah. Well, that, Okay, this is one of my favorite experiences. 
I go to a, a, a mixed church, it's Martin Luther King Day, mm -hmm. and I'm bringing an oil painting that a racist woman gave to me, and it was done by a, 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 a recognized American painter. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing it to the church because I want to give it to the community. And what the condition was that I will give it to the community, you put it any place you want, but every year on Martin Luther King's Day, it comes out of there and it goes someplace else. I want the children to see it. So it goes... It's on rotating. It's almost ready to do that. So uh, I, I'm presenting that. Unbeknownst to my presenting it, they had already nominated and elected me uh, for the award of security. So they say, get up and say some words. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I spoke, I, went, I spoke to my heart immediately because I had no choice. And I got up and I said, Martin Luther King was afraid the whole church got silent. I said, yes, he was. He even told us he may not get there uh, with them because he knew what he was up against and he knew that people wanted him dead. Mm -hmm. But what he did was what I call the three C's. And I live by the three C's. And what are the three C's? The three C's are he went out of the community and he had compassion. Mm -hmm. He went home and he couldn't rest with it. He had to develop conscience. And then it wasn't enough to have compassion and to know that it was wrong. But what was he personally going to do about it? So he developed courage. So it's compassion, conscience, and, and courage. courage. He had it all. And he had a quote that's really, you know, people think about him as looking for racial justice only. He also said, if you read his quotes, which are, he had quite, a, he was very erudite and was quite the intellect. He said that any injustice anywhere for any reason is an injustice, is an injustice everywhere for all reasons. Boy, open my eyes. That's, that's, that's deep because it's not just, it's not just Bethany's injustice is Bethany's injustice. Yeah. An injustice in Bethany is an injustice in Wheeling is an injustice in Weirton. It's injustice. Humankind, you're precisely correct. And that's how I saw it. But anyway, when I was selling a piece of property, a, a, a factory that I owned to the city, they were going to build a police station there. But they negotiated the price down, and that was fine. I said, but if you build a police station there on a wall, I want to put a plaque of the three C's. And they agreed. And it's then, there. They, then they moved the, no, they moved the police station to different, <laughs> different property. So... Um, you had talked about before I get into what you're doing now and, and the, the park for your foundation and what and, and whatnot. Uh, you had talked about how hard it is to give away money. You, you're oh, in yeah. the process of well, yeah. I, I was writing a number of checks, not big. I'm not wealthy. To different charitable organizations, of, of international too. And uh, I had the guy in my office look up the percentages, and most of the ones I've been writing checks to have 90% administrative costs and only 10% help. ASPCA, I mean, the, the, the dogs, mm -hmm. gives 10.1% to the dogs and cats, and the rest goes for administrative and salary expenses. Hell. And when I see a great big horse dog, and that's a prejudice of mine, and I mean, people getting dragged down the street by a horse dog, <laughs> uh, I say feed a child. It's, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry taking care of pets and we don't take care of each other. Yeah. I'm not down on pets. I'm not no, down it's just animals. we need to take care of ourselves. Pri too. Priorities, okay? But anyway, uh, I want you to follow up to that. Oh, Doctors Without Borders is, I still give to some organizations, but mm -hmm. Doctors, uh, 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 Jimmy Carter, uh, I'll never stop supporting him. If he threw the money away, he's 
such a human being. Yes. Doctors Without Borders is one of the best percentage-wise that goes directly to help people. The doctors work without salary at great risk. They've been killed all around the world. And I would encourage anyone, if you have anywhere near a global instinct and heart, think about Doctors Without Borders. So what are you doing? What are you doing now? What's what's a day? What's a day like for Frank? I'm doing two things, and I'm not in good health. As I told you earlier, I have more doctors than I got friends. Um, I'm in the process of liquidating, and I don't. I, I can't. I'm I'm amazed with how much I have. When I sold my factory warehouse, to scramble to put it out. I can't. I, I have a a large building which I built in McMechan. Mm -hmm. It was a showplace for used building materials. I tried to find a manager for three years, could not, made it a warehouse. I have nine trailers full of stuff and stuff out in the yard. I have, hundred, I have thousands of items, not hundreds, but thousands of items that I want to sell. And I want to get all the money and give it to my foundation to dispense. I have not taken a salary in eight years. I don't need it. Everything I have is paid for. Mm -hmm. I have no bills besides the ordinary. And my company takes care of things like uh, some personal stuff like insurance. And so uh, and what what is the goal for the foundation? The foundation, yeah, <clears throat> thank you. This is the most exciting thing in my life, the direction I want to go. The foundation is called Imagine Just Peace Foundation. It's registered with the state of West Virginia. And I've already started giving some money. Bethany... Uh, College is a recipient of it, and I, I owe them two checks, shame on me, which I need to do before the end of the year. Uh, the purpose of the foundation is to raise people out, up out of ignorance, mm -hmm. and in West Virginia, it's a, it's a big job, sadly. Um, and my definition of a scholarship, my personal definition of a scholarship is the power to change a life. When I gave my money to Bethany before, I said, I do not want to have this money help a student who's already here. Mm -hmm. I want you to find someone who will never go to college. It's not possible because that life will be changed. The rest of them will make it somehow. Get a job part-time like I did, yeah. you know? So half of, not half, but, but part of Imagine Just Peace is the, the power to change a life through scholarship and mentoring. Uh, the second half of it is, <clears throat> there's so much pain out there, and I'm not wealthy. I don't want to pay anybody's bills to reduce their pain, but I want to try to let the foundation go to some of the circumstances of their lives that are keeping them trapped, like addiction, mm -hmm. the best example. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic in recovery for 37 years. Okay? Uh, I'm blessed. So I want to do those two things primarily, but if, get, if an opportunity comes to make the human condition, which is the key phrase, it's all about the human condition. It's all about the human condition. By the way, uh, I have another book planned. Well, I'm writing a book called From Commerce to Consciousness. I'm not very far into it, I confess. And From Commerce to Consciousness is that the thesis is all the things we learn in business, good and bad, and how we can use them to raise each other up and comfort each other's pain. Let me ask you, how have you kept yourself loving what you do for almost 35 years now? How do I do it? Mm -hmm. uh, 
hell if I know. <laughs> An old insurance man retired who's younger than me called me up last week and said, you're the energizer bunny. But it, it, it's becoming increasingly difficult. I have real health issues. And uh, none of them failed so far, but they just get debilitating. Yeah. I do no work. I just administer and communicate. But I, but I have a dream, and I and I hope I haven't waited too long. I want to publish the book, and I want to get the foundation up and running, put a board in place, and now in the industrial park, I took an acre or two down on a river. I built a 120-foot state-of-the-art boat dock. Mm -hmm. I'm building a, a meeting house out of demolition foundation stones. I'm, I'm up to an architect right now to put the second story on. And it's all electrified, Comcast, and all that stuff, almost finished. And I'm afraid I waited, I hope I haven't waited too long because what I'm doing, and this is the part of the story that I want you to know, is I'm, I'm leaving it to all nonprofits who want to have a meeting, a retreat, a fundraiser, or whatever. That, that's a legacy I can be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. uh, because on all these boards, we always have trouble finding a place to meet and do things. They have even, I even built a bandstand down there. We've had two concerts so far for different reasons. So, uh, that's my dream to get the park and uh, going and the foundation and to uh, ascribe to those two goals. Did I answer your question? You did. Oh, okay. So we're, in, we're at that point. We got the last two questions. First question is How would you say Bethany has helped you or helped you succeed? Well, it, it, it started off negatively. Mm -hmm. Okay. I reacted against all the things I saw. I one time called out a, uh, a trustee as being racist. He was. And uh, Perry Gresham called me to his office and asked if that was true. And I said, yes. And I said, do you want me to apologize? He said, no, thank you very much. And I left. That was the end of that. That was the end of that. He was a wise guy. He knew my MO. You take the emperor's clothes off. And not that he was a bad person. No, he just we had a cordial relationship. But he didn't call me on it. And I was glad he didn't call me on it because I'd have to go for it. Mm -hmm. So, how Bethany helped me, first of all, it made me angry, it made me reactive, and as I hopefully matured some, I'm still a kid, I'm, I'm, I'm 58 chronologically, 106 mileage, and 16 emotionally, and that's what keeps me going. Anyway, uh, that that was mollified some. I'm more, uh, and I've come to love Bethany. I told you I walk, come here when it's my spiritual home and I come here and I want to support it in every way and I worry about it, of course. Mm -hmm. And I have the most meaningful memory in my life from Bethany, having been here 15 years. I wish it only well and I want to help in any way I can. But how, how Bethany changed me first was by being making me angry and reactive and then by solidifying at least my understanding of my attempts to make it a better, uh, uh, the human condition a better experience. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot of Bethany. Interestingly, I um, almost forgot. People ask me, how do you be successful? Especially young people. I say two words. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's in your brain. Pay attention to what's in your neighbor's brain. Pay attention to what's in your immediate environment. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. And if you can't choose something, it'll choose you. Pay attention. And that is something that I've been blessed with in being a loner and being quiescent. 
I, I always, from a little kid in the, in, the, in, the, in the streets of Hoboken, I always paid attention. And the happy thing I have to tell you about my Bethany experience is some, you don't know everybody intimately, of course. Mm -hmm. And some people, particularly being in the bar, you, you see bodies, people's body language, their comments. You know who doesn't like you, you know who likes you, even if they don't say it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I must tell you that to answer your Bethany question, and even outside of Bethany, I have learned something from everybody I've ever met. That sounds like an exaggeration, but I have learned something that might have been of no great import, but I paid attention, and the cumulative effect of that is, it may, I think it makes me more intuitive and more able to under, read, if you will, mm -hmm. a situation, and avoid the pitfalls and go to the successes. And if anything, I learned that at Bethany, and it's helped me be successful in, I won't say real life, because Bethany's real life too. It's, it's a bubble life, but it's real life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people, people always want to graduate and go do something else. Hell, I knew this was going to be the best time of my life, and I was in no hurry to get out, obviously. <laughs> I, I took a couple of those extra, extra yeah. laps around the... Yeah. Um, so our last question, if you were talking to a junior or senior in high school, they're getting mm -hmm. ready to make their decision for college, mm -hmm. why Bethany? Why would you recommend a student come to Bethany? I don't have a good answer, but I will partially answer it by saying when I came to Bethany in 1961, they had some classicists, I call them classicists, professors still around. Chandler Shaw for history, Osborne Booth for religion. They wrote their own books. Uh, Black Mac Alexander, he, he, he taught um, religion. I never had him, but it was said that he had a Jaguar, and he if you brought a car to town, you had to either admit that his car was faster or race him until you killed him. He was a real character. They're all gone, of course. Well, is it true that they used to, right here on Main Street, they used to drag race from the corner here down to the where the, the first curve is, right past the physical plane? I thought they raced mostly on the couple of miles to Emily's. Okay. Yeah, that's the biggest straightaway. They're crazy to do it here. They're crazy to do it <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. Anyway, there is so much more I want to share. I'm having a good time. Thank you very much. I hope I'm not being too egoistic, but no. I told myself I was going to be frank and tell you and answer the questions to my understanding as best I could. Um, so forgive me for my excesses. And if, and if there's any egoism here, it's me. It's real. I don't deny it. I just apologize for it. <laughs> well, Frank, I want to say, is there anything else that you that you, we didn't cover that you would like to, yeah. to get out before we... Yes. Okay. Yes. Because we have run our course in questions, so... I'm glad I took notes because my brain is fried. I want to tell you about... The, the social picture in, in Bethany is a mm -hmm. small town. Everybody knows everybody's business. And they had what I called characters. For instance, Larry Hummel. Larry Hummel uh, and I were friends. At 2 o'clock every morning, he'd meet me outside my bar when we closed, and we'd walk around the town. Him because he was an insomniac, and me because I was wired. And he even built me a little table desk that I still have in my office. And... Uh, I'll only say that about Larry Hummel. Uh, Pete 
the mailman. He also, I inherited him in the laundromat. He was running the laundromat for the person who built it, Harley Dunham, who was BMG chief. Mm -hmm. And uh, he didn't like me. He didn't trust me. He believed all the stories. And I realized I had a good opportunity to change an attitude. And I treated him with respect, honesty, and uh, it didn't fit with him. He wanted to be mad, and it just didn't fit. And he came around, and he was gracious to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. Okay. I'll tell you about something fun. I had a bar. So Bethany was spending a lot of money on concerts. My favorite story is of Gracie Slick. Okay. They had a matinee cooker show in Pittsburgh that night. The matinees were cheaper, and I roll out of bed at two, 10 o'clock because of that. So I went to the field house, and there's this attractive woman walking around. And she walks up to me and says, you got a match? And I was foolish enough to be smoking at the time. And I found myself smoking a joint with Gracie Slick. <laughs> so we had a great conversation. And she got time to go on. And I said, before she went, I said, what's the hardest part of your job? And she said, well, Everybody, she had just come out with White Rabbit. She said, everybody's screaming about that to me the whole concert, and I can't focus to do that. And of course they did. And she got to the end of the concert, it was quiet for a moment, and I'm standing in front because I was there early, and I just did this. I wordlessly mounted White Rabbit. She smiled at me, blew the audience away, stepped off the stage, and gave, her my, gave me her tambourine, which I still have in my living room at home. My other favorite story is about John Prime. He came in with his manager, drank Heineken's all day. I wouldn't let him pay the bill. And I said, you've paid me already. And he invited me backstage. Now I was persona non grata, but he took me into the field house and put me in backstage in front of everybody. I'm sure they were pissed and I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, the first song he sang was, there's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes. His addiction from Vietnam. And uh, I'm behind stage, and I had never heard the song, and I'm really bawling my eyes out. He opens the curtain, exchanges guitars. He looks at me, and I said, I'm sorry. He said, that's all right. Because that's, I'm sure to him, that was the right intention. Yeah, the, the song hit you. And, yeah. Yeah. and then Yes came to town from, from England, and uh, they came into the bar. When it was time for them to go to the crew, they said, we need to change our clothes. So I took them up to the one room I was living in. They changed their clothes. And just before they look out, they didn't ask me permission. They picked up my phone, dialed New York, and he says to his manager, we're in Bethany. We're going to get back on the bus. There is no Bethany College. We've been had. And I can just see the guy freaking out. And he hung up the phone, and they go out and play a dynamite concert. <laughs> and there's more and more and more and more. And not incidental to Bethany, but I'm a classic rock and roller, and country music doesn't warn me, but for a friend of mine who was running it, she now has an agency in Nashville. I managed the stage at Jamboree in the Hills for four years. I had to bring them on, be with them, talk to them, and I got to know all of the popular country music stars as well, so I've been blessed that way. Not bad for groupie. To meet, to meet all the people that you have. Yeah, and the, the one last story uh, about meeting people, the Vatican in New York mm -hmm. invited me to be with the Pope when he was visiting and speaking at the UN. And that particular session was the plenary where they start the session. And there's 191 world leaders in the, in the, in the hall. 
and I went four o'clock in the morning through seven security checks, and I'm schmoozing, doing international schmoozing. I met Bill and Melinda Gates, and I told them they were in my book, uh, From Commerce to Consciousness. I met uh, the latest James Bond. Not Pierce Brosnan. No, no. But, but anyway, whatever his name is, he's the latest one. He, he, I got a picture with him, and I have all these pictures because nobody believes these stories. Uh, and he said the, the greed in Hollywood is out of control and getting worse, and it shows no sign of abating. I met the, the senior prelate of uh, the synagogues in America, and then after the Pope sat down to a standing ovation, Malala got up. And I am a hero. Malala got up and talked. She says, you know, we have, uh, we've gone to the moon, we've got flying schools, we've done electronics, cell phones, we've done marvelous things. But you know what? If we educated women in the world, we could have twice as much. I was the first one to jump up and start applauding. And I walked over to, uh, that, in that particular meeting, it was the first time Palestine was uh, uh, recognized. Mm -hmm. And I followed the Palestinian Holocaust very closely, had friends there, and I went over to the, the desk where they were sitting. There were two women, surprisingly, uh, <clears throat> and I congratulated them. It was a, a high point for me. Malala, and, and when I went in with the, with, the, with the Vatican group, there were five of us who were invited as VVIPs. Mm -hmm. We walked past these chairs and they had four names on the chairs and the people sat down. I figured they forgot me. I wasn't going to make a scene. I was there. But I had hurt feelings. And they kept saying, come with me, come with me. They sat me with them. So you didn't sit with the group that you were brought in with. You sat with the people that invited the you. The Vatican uh, Archbishop and all the hierarchy. And then they took me, took me back to the residency and they had a dinner. They asked me if I wanted to lay down on the Pope's bed. He was staying in while he visited. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> no. But I sat on his chair. He got like a throne. And uh, they wanted me to do that. And I got pictures of that. It was an experience I'll never forget. I'm in, I'm in the men's room. I'm peeing. Next to me, there's a guy twice as big as I am in robes, Af obviously African. And there's a guy behind him, bigger than he is, his bodyguard practically touching him. I was wondering what they were going to do next. <laughs> anyway, I said, you speak English. And he said, of course. And then he said, he said, funny thing about your country, it's different than mine. He said, in my country, we steal 80% of the money and give the people 20. In your country, you give people 80% of the money and steal 20. He thought that was gloriously <laughs> funny. Kept laughing. <laughs> anyway, many conversations like that all day. Thank well, you. Frank, we've, we've gone down, we've gone down. Thank you for being a part of this and giving us just a glimpse of what your life has been. Uh, I'm glad that we finally got to sit down and, and have this conversation. We got it on tape. Um, Good luck censoring it. <laughs> well, that's the great thing about this show is I don't have to censor it. I'm sorry. Please, I'm interrupting you. Well, this has been the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. I am Carlo Guadagnino, Frank Calabrese, class of 1970. Um, should have been 65. Should have been 65, could have been 67, could have been 68. Uh, make sure you tune in every Thursday, 10 a.m. You can follow us on Instagram. It's dingo underscore talk. 
You can follow us on Twitter to at Dingo Talk, and you can follow us on TikTok, also at Dingo Talk. Um, again, Frank Calabrese, class of 1970. I am Carlo Guadagnino, and this has been the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. We'll catch you next Thursday, guys. Oh, bye now. Oh, bye now.